Am I good now? There we go. Good morning, Bridgeway Church. Now that we got that figured out, I guess it's sermon time. Well, let me just say uh, thank you, Elder Dave. I've always wanted to say that. Nice to <laughs> And uh, thank you, Matt, for sharing so well with us today. Bless you. Welcome into membership here. It's a great family. And thank you, worship team. Um, wow, it was awesome to be led so well and to worship with you today. So I hope and pray that your hearts and spirits are prepared for what we've already been hearing and what the Spirit of God may have to say to us today. Well, starting off a little lighthearted. So Jesus did lots of brave things. Oh, no, not there yet. Brent, you gave away my picture already. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, you did. (laughs) I was getting mixed up. It's on here, but it's not on there. Off to such a good start today. Anyway, let's try again. Jesus did lots of brave things when he walked this earth. Taught a lot of brave things. Did a lot of brave things. But in the text we're going to get to today, I would suggest to you, again, in a lighthearted way, that Jesus did something really brave. You see, Jesus, as a man... And may I also add, an unmarried man decided that he would use a metaphor about women and childbirth. That's why I think he's so brave. Now, the reason that Jesus did this is he wanted to comfort his disciples, and he wanted to comfort them about the fact that they were going to be coming into a time of grief, but after that time of grief, they were going to come to a time of joy. And so Jesus' metaphor was basically, it's like a woman in childbirth, that when they're in labor and when they're going through all that pain, it's horrible, and yet, because of the joy of that baby coming into the world, in a sense, the pain was all worth it. Now, again, the reason that I think Jesus is so brave in using that metaphor is, I'm a married man, Uh, I watched my wife go through labor four times, And I learned very early on that for me to ever compare pain I've been through, not a good idea. So any of you young men yet, please don't ever go there. Now, I hate to say this, but it is a true story, and this one I can tell. I've told some of you that my wife, Una, is a labor and delivery nurse. So I have heard more birth stories than I believe most men. If any of you want to compare later, I've heard many, many birth stories. And I can't tell any of hers because of patient confidentiality and all this. But some of the things that men say, it's amazing there isn't more murder in the world. Anyway, (laughs) this this is true though. And I can tell this because my sister tells a story all the time. Apparently, my brother-in-law said to her in one of her labors, Oh, come on, it can't hurt that bad. <laughs> yes, they're still together. <laughs> Barely. No, no, they're, they're, they're together. All right, well, with, with the fun of that metaphor, I thought, well, you know, I have to try to find some other safer ways to illustrate Jesus' point about going from grief to joy, or that your grief will turn to joy. So now, Brent, my picture. Oh, there it is. So you see the wonderful picture of the baby. Oh, so cute. That's exactly what they look like the moment after birth, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, not even close. However, another couple of examples of where um, grief turns to joy. Now, you see the running picture. And uh, I've I've never been a marathon runner or a long-distance runner, but I hear from what they say that there's something after a run that they call the runner's high. 
I don't know if we have any runners in the room. But basically what they'll describe is, is that during the race, at, what, at certain points in the race, they will just be so, like, we're, I'm not going to make it. I am so tired. The pain is so acute that they just feel like they want to die. And yet, when they break through that barrier and get to the finish line, there's this euphoria that comes over them. The endorphins kick in, and they have what that's called a runner's high, where it's like the joy that comes with that accomplishment just made it all worth it. Now, there's also a picture of a graduate up there, and I see that we're going to honor the graduates um, at the end of the service today. And I would guess that some of you grads and some of you that are still suffering in school, you feel like it's just all grief right now, the grief of school. And you've been laboring and laboring, but joy is going to come. You know, the last... I remember the feeling of walking out of that last exam. Oh. I remember the feeling of working on this huge paper that took forever that caused me so much stress and when it was finally done and I either hit send today and years ago when you'd still have to bring the paper to the teacher and just that feeling of relief, right? That feeling of freedom, that feeling of joy. Now this is also true in, in many of our work settings or in the projects we do, right? And I'm sure you've all experienced this in some way where you were in the middle of a project or in the middle of something at work that was really, really erroneous, hard, and you thought, oh, I'm never going to get through, this is horrible. And yet when you, when you pushed through and finished and broke through, then came this, just this excitement, this joy of accomplishment of I did it, I succeeded, it's over. And, and so that, that's a little bit of what Jesus is trying to say, and we, and we could keep illustrating. But let's now go to the text. So we are in John 16. And in John 16, um, Jesus, in the last chapters, Darren spoke last week. Oh, no, that's right. Last week we're the missionaries, so we, we haven't been in John, John 16 for a couple of weeks. But Jesus has been preparing his disciples for what's coming really soon. And again, because we know what's coming, we know we've read the book, we know the, we know the ending, we know that Jesus is about to die and rise again. But they even though Jesus has been trying to tell them this, and admittedly telling them this in encrypted ways, obviously, they're not understanding and they're not getting it. So there's, there's definitely a swirl of confusion around the disciples. And so I'm not going to read these, these verses here, um, 16 to 19, but basically this is where Jesus is, is using this little line in a little while. And he uses it seven times, and it's just driving them nuts, because what does Jesus mean by a little while? I think where we can relate to the disciples is that often when we're praying and we're, we're sort of negotiating with God in our spirits, I think he often says to us, yes, you'll know about that in a little while. And sometimes we're just going, what do you mean by that? But they were certainly, they had no clue what was coming, but Jesus just kept saying in a little while. But that stuff, that's, so that's kind of the context of Jesus wanting to comfort his disciples. So let's go down now to verse 20, and let's read uh, John chapter 16, verses uh, 20 to 21. And this is one of Jesus' truly, truly, I say unto you statements. So, John 16, verse 20. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child, here it is, has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. 
but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So in, this, in, in these comforting and powerful words by Jesus, he begins by talking about the idea that his disciples are going to be weeping and mourning when the rest of the world is celebrating or rejoicing. And of course, he's talking about his coming death and how they're going to weep and mourn and the world is going to rejoice because it's like, we got rid of this guy. And as I thought about that, I thought about how we often feel even today in our world and in our culture. Aren't there many times as a follower of Jesus, you want to weep and mourn for what you see happening, and yet it seems like the world is rejoicing. And I think that we, we sometimes live in that tension as well. Jesus also, very interesting, says here that when he appears to them, and again, they're not quite getting it. He's trying to comfort them, but the statement he makes is that, is that when I come back to you, no one will be able to take away your joy. No one will be able to take away your joy. So I have a question for you, a question I've been asking myself this week. Who in your life has the power to rob you of your joy? Or let me ask it this way. Does the enemy have certain lies or certain ways or certain tactics that can rob you of your joy? Well, when I asked myself that question, it was hard because the answer was true on both accounts. There's times when I can be just humming along joyfully in life, and then I can hear from a certain person, and it can just rob me of my joy. Or same thing, I can be humming along in my life, and then something can trigger a memory, or a painful situation, or something like that, and then the enemy speaks those lies. And usually those lies are all about just how lousy I am, and every negative thing about who I am and what I've accomplished and all that negativity can come. So as I thought about that, and then I'm thinking of Jesus' statement, that because of Jesus' presence, because of his power, he's saying to us, nothing can rob you of your joy. And I started to realize, you know what? That is true. Who's the problem? Me. Who gives power to people and the enemy to rob me of my joy? I do. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. It's super, super hard. But can I encourage you today? Realize that the people and even the tactics of the enemy that want to rob us of our joy, we do not give them power. In the name of Jesus, in the strength of Jesus, let's say no to giving those people or that tactic, power, and say, no, I can choose this complete joy that Jesus talks about. So hard to do, but let me encourage you and remind you, we give that power away. Jesus offers the power for our joy to be complete, even in the midst of difficulties and difficult situations. That's the kind of joy that Jesus is talking about, this this complete joy. Complete joy is not sort of this euphoric, smile, smile, happy all the time kind of joy, but it's an inner joy that comes from the presence of Jesus. 
an inner joy that comes from the realization that no matter how messed up everything is in my life or around the world, King Jesus is still on the throne. And his promises are still true. And that he wants to be the source of joy in our life. Now back to the dangerous verse. The giving birth to the joy of having the baby voice or verse. I want to I pose a question now that I'm going to come back to at the end, but I want to seed it now to get you to thinking about it. Let me ask you this. What could God be birthing in your life? What could God be birthing in our church? Are we so focused on the labor, on the pain, that we're not realizing that perhaps the purpose of that labor and that pain is something new and something exciting and something of new life that Jesus wants to birth. If you are going through a really, really painful time in your life, a a very much a grieving time in your life, a doubting, struggling time in your life, I know it's hard and I know it's painful. But can I encourage you today to ask Jesus this question? If this is what I'm going through right now, What are you birthing in me? And same with the church. Through a pandemic and through a season of conflict, do we just focus on the pain or the labor or do we focus on the new life that Jesus is birthing and what could that be? Think about that. So let's go to the next next section of our text starting at verse 25. So we'll read 25 to 32. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I've come from him, came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then the disciples said, then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each of you to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. Interesting dialogue going on here. So, yes, Jesus admits that he's spoken a lot figuratively about what's to come and says that a day is going to come when he's going to reveal the Father and they're going to come to a place of understanding. And, you know, the, the disciples jump pretty quick to relief or hope or whatever and very boldly say, okay, we get it now, we believe. And then I, I sense here that Jesus is basically saying, Do you? Do you really understand or believe yet? And then, of course, he prophesies what's to come. It's interesting that though it's it's Jesus' heart to comfort them with understanding will come, he's also, in a sense, wanting them to be careful that they don't too quickly jump to conclusions to think they understand. And I think that's often the temptation when we walk through times of grieving. We so desire for an answer. 
We so are going to God all the time with why, why, why? Why is this happening? I, I need to understand. And sometimes um, we can just grab onto the smallest thing and think, okay, we get it now. And yet Jesus isn't done the process of what he needs to teach us and what he needs to reveal to us. But it is Jesus' heart here that he, he wants them to understand the joy in understanding and the joy in this sort of new era of prayer. So again, this whole, this whole part of, of understanding. You know, they, they were starting to understand, but Jesus had already told them in previous chapters, you're really not going to fully understand what's going on here until after I die and rise again from the dead. And then you're not even going to fully understand until the Holy Spirit comes to reveal to you. So there's definitely different layers that needed to come. But what Jesus wanted to say to them was, there will be great joy when you come to a place of understanding my plan and understanding my heart and understanding who the Father is. And that's, that's what he wanted them to know. And you know, for us in the midst of pain, in the midst of grief, in the midst of labor, oh, wouldn't we just love it if Jesus would just right away tell us why, that we'd understand why. And yet the reality is, is that just like he said earlier, that you know, it's in his time, it's in a little while. God's sense of timing is so different than ours, but the promise is there. Now maybe we're not gonna know the whys or come to a point of understanding the way we'd like to you know, in the next hours or days or weeks or months, and maybe not until eternity. I know that will be really painful and hard for some, but still the promise will come true that it's Jesus' heart for us to understand, and there will be great joy in that. And in this, Jesus declares that the nature of prayer has changed. It's this scripture where we come to the understanding that we pray to the Father but we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. And you know, it's not that, that we need to pray to Jesus in order to appease an angry dad or an angry God or an angry father. That is so not what's true and what's biblical. Jesus is saying the exact opposite. Jesus has been saying, if you want to know the Father, look at me. I and the Father, if you want to know what the Father is like, look at what I'm like. Jesus revealed the Father. Um, the, the next slide, just a, a couple slides of what I'm talking about. One, one commentator said, the name of Christ is both the passport by which the disciples may claim access into the audience chamber of God and the medium through which the divine answer comes. And then St. Augustine, an early church father, said, the son does not ask the father, but the father and the son alike listen to those who ask. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Again, Jesus is not trying to appease an angry God or an angry, disappointed Father. He's revealing the Father who loves his creation, who loves him, and he's saying, I invite you in. I invite you into family. You can know the Father. Almighty God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is revealed to you when you understand all of those aspects of God and embrace being a part of that family, that's when you're going to begin to understand. That's when you begin to, to understand even what all of this about praying in Jesus' name. Because again, praying in Jesus' name is not about getting the stuff we want or the outcomes we hope for, but it's about embracing the presence of God 
and realizing that we go into the presence of God and we have the right to stand before the Father because of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and it's an incredible miracle of who we are in Jesus, who we are as followers. That's what we're invited into and that is complete joy. That is what Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples in. And so then we come to the very last verse of our text today. When Jesus says these most awesome words, John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Wow. This commentator says, the peace that Jesus promises is not sentimental or some escapist piety, but peace in the face of persecution. Now, you know, because it fit better with my outline, I called this point grief to peace because it kind of fit really nice with grief to joy. But you know what? Grief to peace is not right. What that should read is peace in grief. What does Jesus promise in our grieving, in our pain, in our laboring? He promises his presence. He promises his peace. That doesn't come and go. That's his gift, that's his heart, that's his love for us. When it comes to grief turning to joy, well, that may take process. That may take a little while, but the promise is still there and it's his heart and it's his desire for us. So as we respond today, can you respond to that kind of Jesus? to that kind of father as we sang earlier for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to save us incredible so now back to the question that I seeded earlier have you been thinking about it? have you phased out everything I just said until now because you've been thinking so hard about it? back to that birthing analogy so right now if you're going through a really difficult time, a time of grieving, a time of pain, a time of labor in your life, whatever it may be, can I encourage you today to look past the pain and ask Jesus, what are you birthing in me? Can I encourage you today in response? Maybe it'll come later today or later this week. Spend time with Jesus and ask him that question. Jesus, what are you birthing in me? You know, as I look around this congregation and I begin to hear more and more of your stories and hear some of the testimonies, Jesus is birthing some pretty amazing new things around here. Can you take joy in that? Can you encourage each other in that? Can you hope for each other in that? And you know, as a church, we've been through COVID, we've been through a conflict, Both, we would argue, are not really over, but kind of are. You know what I mean? It's kind of like what we say about COVID. Anyway, we've been through that. Are we, church, so focused on the pain and on the labor of it all that we yet haven't asked the question, God, what are you birthing? If you've put us as a church through this kind of pain, if you've put the big church perspective, if you've put the church through all of this, what are you birthing? Now, I could 
go on illustrating about this. I'll just, I'll just say a couple things as we, as we wrap up the sermon time. But you know, um, watching, watching you as a congregation, visiting with many of you, I hope to do more, I've been, I've been really encouraged to, to see some things already. Let, let me just share a, few, a few, few things that I'm seeing that I think are new things that God is birthing in this congregation. Well, you know, one of the, one of the things that's really obvious to me is that I'm seeing a, just a renewed longing for true community. Not for church as usual, church is what it used to be like, let's go back to just filling the pew and doing the church thing, but I'm seeing a longing for true community, for deep community, for authentic community that matters. I think that's something that God's birthing. Another one I see is through COVID, a lot of you realized, you know what, I've been relying on the church to feed me spiritually. I need to learn how to feed myself spiritually. And you know what, many of you learned how to feed yourself spiritually, to read scripture and find amazing podcasts and pray and, and meet in small groups to discuss the word and what God's doing in your life. And, and you started to realize, wow, you know what? That's amazing. That is something that God is birthing. It doesn't mean that the church doesn't have its important purpose in our lives, but we also all need to learn how to feed ourselves spiritually too. I see that being born. And you know, even in the big picture church, and you know, you can take this or leave this, but uh, there are many prophetic voices in the church today that talk about how um, COVID and that whole, this whole pandemic season around the world has changed the church forever. They talk about historically, um, there seems to be a big change in the church about every 500 years. You know what radically changed the church about 500 years ago? It was called the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation, as um, Protestant evangelicals that we are in this room, we all look at that as, oh, it was all wonderful and good and needed to happen, and it did. However, if you read historically what happened during there, there's lots of pain, lots of struggle, lots of death, lots of atrocities, lots of things we wouldn't want to read or talk about. There was tremendous pain, but out of that was birthed something new because that's what God does. And I wonder, do we want the church to just go back to what it was like before the pandemic? Or do we want to believe that God might be birthing something new? Yes, big picture church, but also in our congregation. Can we believe that together? Can we have faith in that together? Can we trust in God in that together? He wants to birth a new thing. And you know, this transition year gives us such opportunity. Can I encourage you to take that opportunity? Can we collectively as a congregation agree, you know what, as hard as this is, let's put everything on the table. As hard as this is, let's not long for what it used to be like or how we used to do things. Let's commit together that, you know what? We are at a crossroads of history. We are at a crossroads in our congregation. Let's put it all on the table and say, God, what are you birthing here? Yeah, there's been pain and there might even be more pain to come. I don't know where we're at in the labor process. You women can say it's the worst near the end, right? The labor pains increase, 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 and they're worse at the end and then the miracle of a new life. 
can we commit to that? And I don't, I don't know what all those specifics are going to be. I haven't got a clue, but God does. And I believe he wants to birth something new in our church and in your lives. So let me pray with you. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you will just move among, in this room and just hover over every life and every heart today. I would ask, Holy Spirit, that any words of dawn that have been unhelpful or untrue, that you would just take those away from anyone's thoughts or memory. And Spirit of God, I pray that whatever is your truth from your word, that that would just go right to our hearts. Lord, I pray for those who personally are going through some real grieving in their life. Lord, you know. Speak to them and let them know that you're there, that you've never left them. You've never been unaware. And I pray, oh, peace of Christ, would you fall on those people? Oh, I pray, peace of Christ, would you show them, would you give them the courage to ask you, what you're birthing through this pain. And I pray that you will do new and powerful and freeing things in their lives. And Lord, I pray over Bridgeway Community Church. And Lord, yes, I'm gonna say thank you for the season we've been through. We praise you and we worship you even for the hardship and the labor and the pain. Because Jesus, in faith, we wanna ask you to reveal to us what you're birthing. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, power of God, and pour out in this church and show us the new birth that you're bringing here. And we just want to pray that and declare that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Darren, come on up and let's do some more celebrating.